Well, good morning, Gateway family. Good to see you on what's turned out to be a beautiful day. We're thankful for the Lord's protection and the storms pass through and we're able to gather and we are grateful we can be together. I want you to find Ephesians chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word on your Bible app on your phone. We're in the middle of our journey through the book of Ephesians and we're in our third week of looking at the text about marriage. And so today we come back to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33. We spent three weeks in this particular text because it's not an easy way to divide up just a few verses at a time. Paul is painting for us a beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be. And so we've been tackling it over three weeks. I want to remind us where we are because what we tackle today in our message is part of what we've already been seeing. Two weeks ago, we saw that the purpose of marriage was not primarily about us. God didn't give marriage for our self-actualization or for our dreams to get fulfilled. He didn't give marriage just because we needed it. He gave marriage primarily to be a picture of Christ and the church. He wanted to show something beautiful to us. He wanted us to be able to understand who Christ is and how Christ relates to the church. So he created marriage as a temporary institution in this world only that will not continue in heaven because he was showing us the relationship of Christ and his church. Because he has a purpose in that, we're not free to design marriage with whatever we want to do. He's got a purpose for that, an order in the marriage that accomplishes his purpose. And last week, we focused on the role of the husband. And the husband's role is to model Christ. He is, by the way he treats his wife, through a humble servant leadership. He is to show how Christ treats his church. Today we come to text about what is the role of the wife in the marriage. Now like last week, I want to mention at the outset, this is relevant for all of us. If you're married, this is obviously relevant for you ladies because we're talking specifically about your role in the marriage. But married men, this is also very relevant for you because as we saw last week, you have a place that God has given you to lead your family. And so you need to know how to be leading your family. To women who are not yet married but long to be married, this is still relevant for you because this is a heart attitude at the root of what we're seeing today that you can be cultivating even now. To the young men who desire to be married but aren't married yet, this is relevant for you because this is a type character quality in a girl that you should be looking for as you pursue someone with marriage in view. This is relevant to parents because your parents are trying to shape your girls to understand God's purpose for their life and you're trying to shape your boys to understand how they pursue a girl who has these heart affections as well. And for everyone, we all know wives for whom we need to be interceding and praying. And so it's relevant for every single one of us today. Now with that said, I do want to say a word to women who are not in ideal situations. We live in a cursed and fallen world and there is much brokenness because of the curse and because of the fall. So I recognize today there are ladies who've been in abusive relationships, ladies who've been in marriages to where they have an unbelieving husband, where they have a man who just refuses to lead and do what we saw last week. And to you, I don't pretend to have quick, easy answers or pat answers. All I can encourage you to do is to focus on what your heart attitude can be before the Lord, and I'll trust the Holy Spirit to encourage you and to give you the grace and the wisdom you need for whatever tough situation that you find yourself in. As we come to this text this morning, friends, we come to some verses that have often been handled very, very poorly. Verses that have been abused by many men to demand things of their wives that the Scripture does not require. They've been abused by many, or I should say despised by many women who do not like on the surface what they think it says. It's been ignored and passed over in many churches where it's not taught. It's been misunderstood by very many believers today. Yet the truth we see in these verses is absolutely beautiful. Because if we go back to the purpose of marriage, the marriage is to be a picture of Christ in the church. The relationship of Christ in his church is a beautiful relationship. So the picture that God gives us of Christ in the church is beautiful as well as we seek to live it out. So I pray this day that the Lord gives us much, much grace as we tackle what can be a tougher part of God's word. 
So we come to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in in verse 22 and read through the whole marriage text once again, verses 22 to 33. And as we read, I want to ask you to be looking for specifically, what is the wife's role in the marriage relationship? What is the wife's role in the marriage relationship? Can I ask you to stand right now in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. If you're visiting, the words are also on the screen for you. Starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have not left us wondering what our lives would be like or how we're to order our home life. But God, you have shown it to us in your kindness and your grace to us. Lord, I ask today for much, much grace to think clearly and to clearly communicate what your word says here. And I pray you give us all grace to understand your word. And Lord, I know in this room are people in such a variety of situations and walks of lives. And Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will do what only he can do and to take your word and take this truth and apply it to each situation so we all might be encouraged in what you want us to know this day. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Well, normally at this point in the sermon, if you've been coming to Gateway for a while, I give you a main idea that we're going to build the whole sermon around. I'm not going to do that today. We're going to do this one a little bit different than our normal, so hang on on this. I want us to explore the text together, and then the very last minute or two of the sermon, I'll give you the main idea then, because I want you to kind of have the, the joy of discovering it as well and seeing how it all unfolds. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start with the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 5, 22. Now, let me say at the outset here, Paul has spent nine verses, what we saw last week, giving commands to the husbands. He spends three on the wives, nine on the husbands. If you remember from last week, the commands to husbands, he repeats them over and over and over again. He said, love, love, sanctify, cleanse, wash, present, love, 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 nourish, cherish, hold fast, love. You almost think that Paul thinks that men are dense. And so he, verse by verse, over nine verses, like, come on, guys, don't miss it. Love your wife, nourish her, love her, cherish her, hold fast to her, love her, love her, love her, love her. And if I did say it again, love her. Like, he is, like, really trying to drive it home in a very straightforward, almost didactic teaching style to men. You're dense, come get it, guys. This is your calling. Sacrificial love, 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 love for your wives. He only spends one-third of the time now addressing the wives. And he does it in a totally different way. He doesn't repeat something over and over again. He writes a poem basically, in the first three verses that we're coming today. You may be thinking, my Bible, it doesn't look like a poem, but he uses a common style in Greek literature called a chiastic, where he takes several ideas and he repeats them. So he takes three ideas here, A, B, C, and then he repeats them in reverse order, C, B, A. So he basically builds this kind of triangle here, and I want you to see it up on the screen of what he does for the wives. He writes them a poem, basically, where he takes three ideas. You see the top and the bottom in blue, then the two in red and the two in green, And he repeats the ideas in reverse order in a poetic form to help the wives understand what their role is. 
So what I want us to do this morning, before we even get to the main ideas, I want us to walk through this in reverse order. We're going to start in the middle, because what's in green is the purpose for the wife's role in marriage. We're going to move out to the red, because that explains her heart attitude towards her purpose. Then we get to the blue, which is the outside of the chiastic, the outside of the poem, which explains practically what she is to do. And it's just beautiful, again, what Paul did. Again, for men, just nine verses, boom, 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 boom. For the women, I'm going to write you a poem, and I'm going to repeat it in this perfectly symmetrical order here so you can get in this imagery what is being said here. So I want us to start there in the very middle at the green lines for what is the purpose of the wife's role in marriage? Let's tackle this with three questions today. First question, what is the purpose of the wife's role in marriage? What is her God-given purpose? Now look back at that green text there. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, I want to remind you from last week, there are no commands in that part of the text. And those green lines you see on the screen there, that middle, that third level of this chiastic poem, there is no command. It's simply a statement of the order that God has ordained. Notice the word is. The husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. There's no command to become these things. This is how God already sees it. So what is the role of the wife that God has given to her in this structure? Well, it doesn't directly say here. It's implied. The role of the husband is to be the head of the wife. Now, remember from last week, that means he is to love her with a humble, sacrificial love to picture how Christ relates to the church. So what is the wife's role then? Well, if the husband is to be a picture of how Christ treats the church, the wife then, by implication here, her role is to picture how how the church responds to Christ. So what is the wife's role in marriage? Is to portray how the church responds to Christ. To Christ. She used to follow her husband's Christ-like leadership for a reason much bigger than her, much bigger than her family, and much bigger than her needs. So don't you go back into Ephesians chapter 5 and go down to verse 32, because in verse 32 it shows us, again, what is actually happening here with this text. And so, verse 32, this mystery is profound. Again, mystery is not how men and women are different. Mystery here is marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Like I mentioned earlier, marriage is temporary. There's no marriage in heaven because its purpose has been fulfilled. Because then we see Christ face to face. We understand fully how Christ and his church relates. Until that point, marriage is designed by God to help us go deeper in understanding how Christ and the church relates. So now I'll go back up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its savior. The wife has a God-given role in marriage to represent the church. And friends, what a beautiful calling that is. Everything a wife does for her husband or for her family is to be a picture of how the church responds to Christ. So married ladies in the room, understand that God wants your husband to better understand what the church is by looking at you. He wants your children to better understand what the church is and how the church, the people of God, respond to God by looking at you. He wants your believing friends in your community to better understand how the church worships and responds to God by watching you. He wants your your lost friends to better understand the relationship of Christ and the church by watching you. You have a role to picture the church before a watching world of believers and unbelievers. So what is the wife's role in marriage is to represent the church so we understand how God and his people relate. So how should a wife feel about her role? Well, let's go back to that diagram, to that poem that Paul has given to the ladies here. That's the red. That's the second part of the middle of this chiastic poem, if you will. Notice what it's in red there. As to the Lord and as the church submits to Christ. These lines tell us the attitude behind what the wife is to be doing and the attitude behind how she is to view 
her role. So what do we learn from those two red lines about a wife's attitude about her role in marriage? First of all, her attitude should be an attitude of worship. It should be an attitude of worship. Notice that first red line at the top of the chiastic, as to the Lord. Let's be clear here. This is her worshiping the Lord, not worshiping her husband. Worshiping a husband would be called idolatry, and that's forbidden in the Bible. So this is not a call, ladies, to worship your husband. Only Christ gets our worship. And so, but she's, the way she's approaching her husband, the way she views her marriage, the way she views her relationship to her husband is an act of worship as to the Lord. Now, when we think about worship, we often think about just the songs we sing. And I want you to see from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that's a little bit broader than that. Yes, worship are the praises that we sing, but worship is bigger than just the praises we sing. Paul says in his letter in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual... What's the next word? Worship. Worship. Part of our worship, yes, is the songs that we've just sung this morning. We've been worshiping God as a people of God by proclaiming his greatness in psalm. But part of our worship is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means how we live day by day, how we seek to obey God, how we seek to order our lives according to God's purposes. And so when a wife chooses to order her home life and order her attitude towards her husband and her role according to God's purposes, she is worshiping God in doing so. And because her role is to portray the church, when a wife worships God by the way that she responds to her husband, she's becoming a picture for her husband and herself and her kids and her friends to understand how the church responds in worship to God. So what's her attitude to be? First of all, it is worshipful. I think there's two more attitudes we see in this text as well that we see how a wife should respond in her heart towards her husband's role and her role in the marriage. These come from verse 24. So go look at verse 24 of our text. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what are her attitudes to be? I think there's two that are implied here in this idea of as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to their husbands. Think about what the church does. The church delights in the structure that God has ordained. We as a church aren't sitting here on Sunday mornings having songs grumbling about the fact that we are following God. We celebrate that. We delight in that. And so that gives us an insight that one of the attitudes of a wife should be a delight in God's plan for her family. A delight in the structure that God has ordained. The way God has ordained marriage to be is good. It's a beautiful picture and it's delightful in that. And when a wife chooses to delight And the way God has structured her family to be, she becomes a beautiful picture then of the church delighting in God and his created order in all parts of life. So her attitude is worshipful. It's a delighting in God's plan. But there's a third thing that I think we can see as well in her attitude. If you think about how the church responds to Christ, it's not passive. The church responds with a longing to see God's mission fulfilled. The church longs to see God's mission fulfilled. And so one of the attitudes of a, of a wife in marriage is a longing to see God's purposes fulfilled. A longing in her heart to see God's purposes fulfilled. Therefore, a wife can delight in her role in the family, knowing what it portrays it, knowing as she fills that role, her kids, her husband, herself, her friends, better understand the church and better understand how Christ and his church relate. And so she has a longing to portray that. She has a longing for her family and her home to be a place where the word of God permeates everything, where she longs for her home to be a place where God is worshipped, where she longs in her heart for her home and her family to be a place to where prayers are offered to the Lord, where her home and her family make God known to others. And when a, when a wife longs to see her family and her home be a place where God's purposes are fulfilled, she's portraying the attitude of the church and longing to see God's purposes fulfilled. 
And so what is her attitude to be? It's an attitude of worship to the Lord, an attitude of delighting in God's plan, and an attitude of longing to see God's purposes fulfilled. But I want to remind us, friends, we cannot manufacture attitudes like that. This text comes after Ephesians 5.18, which I want you to see, just to be reminded of what is right before these commands about marriage. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The placement in Paul's letter of the marriage text is very intentional. This is not something we can manufacture with determination or just trying harder. These type of attitudes that worship God and delight in God's structure, that want to see God's purposes fulfilled, only come about as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, produces this type of attitude in our heart. It's not something we can manufacture. So what is the role of the wife in the marriage? It is to present the church and to portray who Christ is. So let's go back up on that diagram. That's the green part of the text. What is her attitude to be? That's the red lines in the poem there. That is an attitude of worship, an attitude of delighting in God's plan, an attitude of longing for God's purposes. But that leads to the inevitable question that we had to get to this morning. What does she say and do then? How does she now practically live out this plan of God that comes out of an attitude in her heart that she expresses? it? What does she do? And that's the blue line of the text. That's the top line and the bottom line of this poem that Paul writes to the ladies. Now, let me say here, too often we start on those lines, and too often we stop on those lines. What Paul says in these blue lines here, wives submit to your husband, wives should submit everything to their husbands, is only one-third of what Paul writes to the, to the ladies, and it's only one-third of what he writes to the men. And so there's a much bigger picture of marriage he's showing here, a much huge responsibility to the men to love with humble, sacrificial, Christ-like leadership. And then as the wives then respond to that, only one-third of what they're told to do have to do with their words and actions, and that's what we're looking at in these blue lines right here. So, friends, if we miss the green line of the purpose for marriage, if we miss the red lines that show us her attitude, then we're going to probably get wrong those blue lines and what those are supposed to mean. So we have to keep this in terms of the whole big picture of all of this. Now, that leads us to the inevitable words there in the first and last line, wives submit, wives submit. Now, these words have created a lot of consternation and bickering and problems in people over the years. What in the world does Paul mean by wives submit? Well, we've got to take one step back, friends, because there's something really fascinating in the Greek language. You know, we're working off English translation. This is written in Greek. In Greek, the words submit do not appear there. In fact, we have a, a corrected diagram now for you of a literal translation of this text. It literally says, Wives to your husbands ask to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives and everything to their husbands. It's interesting because the words that our culture is fixated on here don't appear in the Greek. The words that we've honed in on of the wife needs to submit, the wife needs to submit, are not even the force of this particular passage. Now, the idea of submission is there. I don't want to weaken that at all. If you go to the, we're not going to show it on the screen, but the verse right before verse 22 is what we saw, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you read 21 and 22 together, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. So there's the force of the idea carrying through. But let me remind us from there, submission there was not a command to obey. Submission there was a heart attitude that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. The command is Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 21, what do you do? You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, specifically, wives to your husbands. Now, let's go to that last phrase on the screen up there. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives and everything to their husbands. The idea of submission does carry on right there as well because it's in the verse before that. But my point in all this for us is the words that we have honed in on the most and focused on the most, submit, are not even the force of what Paul's trying to write. 
if Paul was trying to really hone in on the idea of submit, as we typically think of submit, he could have re-emphasized those words, but he doesn't. He's got a bigger picture that he's trying to paint. What is the force of what Paul is trying to say for us here? Well, he's going to explain it in the final verse of this text, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. We go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. He summarizes everything in this whole text for us in there. And if you notice in God's word, it says, however... That's his way of introducing a summary here. Let. And stop on that word, let. He's now saying, okay, I've told you God's plan for marriage. I've told you the picture of it all. Now let. I want you to act on it. I want you to do something with us. I'm going to give you the quick, concise summary of what I want you to do in your marriages because of what I've said. So think about this. He's given the men nine verses of commands, which again are love, love, nourish, cherish, hold fast, love, love. I mean, on and on it goes. He's going to summarize it. How does he summarize nine verses for the men? Let each one of you, men, love his wife as himself. So he gives the concise summary of what he means out of all those nine verses of nourishing and cherishing and loving and holding fast and all those things. He says it means to love. So you take those three verses he wrote to women where we get the idea of submit from twice. He's going to summarize it here for us as well. And let, this is the command, the application of the wife. Let the wife see that she, wait, wait, he changes words on us, respects her husband. Did Paul have a senior moment here? Did Paul forget what he had just said? Did he get confused? No, he, he clarifies, he's summarizing, he's explaining the force of what he's trying to say. And so what we have here, friends, is the only direct command to a wife in this text is right here. Everything else is describing the picture of what it's supposed to be. So now we finally come to the command to wives about marriage. And it's this, let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so if we think about a wife's role in marriage, she's to picture Christ in the church She does that with an attitude that longs to worship God, with an attitude that wants to see her home be a place to where God's purposes are fulfilled. Now, what does she do with it? What does she say and do? She respects her husband. That is her command that enables God's purposes to be fulfilled. Now, what does it mean for her to respect her husband? I think it's three things that we see from our text that are explaining what she says and does, how she respects her husband. One is in her heart, one is in her mouth, her words, and one is in her actions. So how does a wife obey this command to respect her? Her husband is in her heart, her words, and her actions. Let's start with her heart. How does she respect her husband? First of all, in her heart, she honors the role that God has given to him. She honors the role that God has given to her husband. She respects God's order for the family. That means she wants her husband. In her heart, she longs for her husband to step out as the spiritual leader of the family. She wants her husband to function as a shepherd of the family. In her heart, she doesn't try to take over that role. But the reality is the reason why it starts here is because there's a very real temptation for ladies to want to take over that role from their husbands. We're not going to read today, but if you want to read later, go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you see sin come into the world and how sin breaks the perfect world that God has created. And in there, there's a curse put on man and woman and the enemy because of their sin. And the curse on the woman is simply this, your desire will be for your husband. What does that mean that the curse is her desire will be for her husband? She wants to usurp the spiritual leadership of the home. There's a temptation that comes now to usurp that spiritual leadership in her home. But when she seeks to follow God's order, when she's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit puts within of her heart a desire for her husband to step out as a spiritual leader of the family. She does not usurp that Christ-like leadership. Instead, she honors the role that God put him in. So how does she respect her husband? She honors the role God has put him in instead of trying to take it herself. But that honoring leads to words and actions. So what does she do then? Second, she respects her husband with her words. In particular, she respects her husband with her words by encouraging him to step into that role of spiritual leadership. She encourages him to step into that role, to pursue that role of spiritual leadership. Friends, this is where the idea of submission respect has gotten so muddled today. 
Submission and respect is not silence, and it is not passivity. It is very intentional actions on the part of a wife. It means she's using her gifts, her talents, and her words to encourage and to help her husband step out into his place of God-given spiritual leadership. Don't miss that. Her idea of submission is not she's sitting by pastors letting her husband do whatever he wants to do. Submission, respecting him, is her using her words to encourage him to pursue the roles God's given him to step into his God-given role of a self-sacrificial dying love for his family. And ladies, just as submission does not come naturally, this idea of respecting doesn't come naturally apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit, your husband's calling to step into a dying-to-self-sacrificial, humble leadership role doesn't come naturally either. And so God has put you there with your words to encourage him to do what's not going to come naturally for him either. And think about this. If this would be a picture of Christ in the church, how does the church respond to Christ's leadership? Do we just sit by passively and Silently, well, God's going to do what God wants to do, so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. That's not how the church responds to God. We recognize God's authority, God's leadership for us, and what do we do in response? We talk to him about it. We ask questions of him. That's one thing I love about the Psalms, friends, As you look at the Psalms, and people are going, God, how can this be? God, why is this happening? God, where are you? There's such an honesty in the Psalms. There's nothing contradictory about us worshiping God for who he is and us asking God questions when things don't make sense to us. And don't miss this as well throughout the scriptures. When we talk to God, we the followers responding to Christ the head, we can even remind God of his promises. How much in the scriptures do you see people reminding God, God, don't forget your promise. God, don't forget your promise. It's not because we're not trusting God, but we have a, a role as his followers to, even in our prayers, to remind him of his promises. So the pattern that, of the Christian marriage here then is a wife doesn't sit by passively. She uses her words to talk to her husband, to encourage him to step out, to ask questions of him, to remind him of his commitments and his promises. Therefore, wives, it is not bad. It's not usurping leadership in the home for you to say to your husband, hey, could we read our Bible together tonight? Hey, could we pray together tonight? Or hey, the kids are fighting. Would you step in and lead and take control of that situation for me? There's nothing that goes against God's word for a wife to step into that role to encourage her husband to pursue his God-given role. The reality is the husband and wife probably have different spiritual gifts by design, and God has brought them together to hold fast together because they can do more together than apart. And so when a wife recognizes that God has put her and her husband together to accomplish God's purposes, she can find great freedom then in the way she respects and honors her husband by encouraging him to do what God has called him to do as well. And don't miss the patterns that happens as the wife serves the husband by encouraging him to do his role. As the husband steps in that role of sacrificial Christ-like leadership, he's serving her. So he serves her, she serves him, he serves her, and you have this beautiful cycle going as she's encouraging him to sacrificial Christ-like leadership for the family. As he offers sacrificial Christ-like leadership for the family, it provides for her, she encur- and it just becomes this beautiful cycle, this beautiful picture that God has designed of the husband and wife together serving one another. So how does the wife respect the husband? In her heart, she honors the position God has given him. In her words, she encourages him, intentionally encourages him, to step out into his role. And then third, in her actions. In her actions, she follows him as he follows Christ. She follows him as he follows Christ. Now, I want us to go back to our diagram of the text this morning, because I want to be really clear on this. And this is where a lot of confusion sometimes starts entering in when we have discussions about gender roles in home. Notice the commands here to the wife were to respect. In the blue text here, it's described in terms of submission. Notice Paul does not use the word obey here. It does not say wives obey 
your husbands. He intentionally does not use that word. He will use the Greek word for obey in the next few verses when he talks about children obey your parents. But he uses a very distinct word here, submit. And then he uses in the end of the verse, in the end of the section of verse 33, he uses the word respect. He does not use the word obey here. A wife is never required by God to obey everything her husband wants. She's required to submit to follow him, to respect him as a spiritual leader of the family. And submission to him as a spiritual leader is different than submission to a boss, obedience to a boss. And so what are her actions in marriage? She follows her husband as he follows Christ. I mean, that's ultimately what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He has this beautiful, just short verse that becomes the model, I think, for all of us. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so a wife's responsibility in marriage is not to do everything her husband demands of her. Her responsibility is to follow her husband as he follows Christ. And she respects him. She follows him with her heart attitude, with her words that encourage that role, and with her actions of following him as he follows Christ. Now that leads to four important clarifications to keep us on the right track of understanding a wife's role in the marriage, particularly as we think of respect and submission. So four important qualifications about submission here. First of all, submission is a choice. It cannot be forced. Submission is a choice. It cannot be forced. In this, in this text here, we see submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you go back to verse 21 that we looked at a few weeks ago, we define submission as a choice to give of oneself for the good of another. It's a choice that we have, and I want to define submission the same way here. It's a choice that we make. And Paul carries that force here. Look back at verse 33 of our text today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the only direct command to the wife here is respect. Now, in the Greek, this is what's called the middle voice. When the world's that mean? We've got our English lesson for today. Ready? Middle voice means it's something that you have to choose to do that cannot be forced upon you. So Paul intentionally chooses a tense of the Greek language here that says, Wives, respect your husbands. No one can force you to respect him, but I'm calling you, let you, in your own heart, choose to do something that has to come from within. So to the husbands in the room, if you're demanding your wife to submit to you, if you're demanding her to do things because you're, you're the head, you're not being a biblical head who loves like Christ loves the church. You're being a sinful jerk. She is, this is something that she is called to do as a choice of her own that cannot be imposed upon her or forced upon her. Submission is a choice from the wife, not something demanded. Second clarification. Submission is not following him into sin or folly. Submission is not following him into sin or or folly. So let's go back to our diagram again. I want you to see again what we're looking at in our text here. So what do you see in the green there? The husband is the head of wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. I'm going to take us back to last week to the role of the husband. We said the husband has an authority. This is so important. The husband has what we call a delegated authority. He doesn't have unilateral authority to demand whatever he wants to have. He's been given an authority not to be used for whatever he wants, but to be used for God's purposes. The best way I know to explain that is think of an ambassador of a country. If you became the ambassador of the United States and you were sent to another, con- another country, you can't go walk the streets and say, hey, I'm the ambassador, give me money. You have to do what I say. Hey, I'm the ambassador, go cook that for me right now. The ambassador doesn't have the right to walk around and demand whatever he wants. He has an authority, but he has a delegated authority. It's an authority to be used for a certain purpose. He can only though, there go to the other government and say, hey, our government's demanding you sign this treaty. Not my authority, the authority that's been given to me. I'm asking of this. It's the same thing in the husband-wife Relationship. The husband doesn't have a unilateral authority to do whatever he wants to do. He has a God-given authority to represent Christ to his family, to serve his family with Christ-like leadership. He has an authority to shepherd, to lead the family spiritually, and it's an authority to be used in that way. 
But if you're looking closely at the text, you go, but wait, there's a phrase out there. It says on that very last line, the blue line at the bottom, husbands in, or sorry, wives and everything to their husbands. Does that mean now that a wife has to do everything a husband demands? No, because we have to see this in terms of the big picture, the purpose of marriage in green there. And everything is in everything consistent with God's plan for marriage and everything that fulfills God's purpose for marriage and everything that follows Christ and everything that is shepherding her the way Christ shepherds her. And everything like that is when is the way then that a wife is to follow her husband. It doesn't mean she has to do everything that he says. Now, the church follows Christ everything, period, because Christ is perfect. Husbands are not perfect, That's all obvious to us as husbands and to the wives as well in the room. We're not perfect, so therefore our wives follow us as we spiritually the family insofar as we follow Christ. Now, ladies, this is really important here. If your husband is living in sin, if your husband is living in folly, if he's leading your family in a dangerous direction, if he's leading your family into sin, if he's leading your family into folly, submission and respect is not you sit by passively while your husband wrecks his life and wrecks your family. Submission is you want to honor the role he's in and you love him enough to speak up with gentleness and with respect. So the attitude is important here. Remember, it's a heart attitude that longs for God's purposes, a heart attitude that longs for worship. Out of that heart attitude of humility, the wife in submission can go to her husband and say, this is a dangerous path for us. Would you reconsider? But you see Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 on the screen. Because Galatians chapter 6 is a command of Scripture given to everyone here. Now, it says it starts with the word brothers, but let me remind you, culturally at the time, that's how everything was addressed. Brothers doesn't mean just to the men, so ladies are off the hook. Brothers was a broad term that included all people. So brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, there is no asterisk here that says this is to be followed unless you're a wife in a relationship where a husband is sinning and you don't have to do that because you have to submit. There's no asterisk with this text. This is a command. If you're a follower of Christ and you see another follower of Christ in sin, you have a God-given, God-ordained responsibility to, with gentleness, with humility, to go to that person you say is a brother or sister in Christ who you love and to help restore them to the right path for the good of their soul and the good of people around them. And so, wives, it is not loving It is not encouraging your husband's role. It is not biblical submission and respect. If you see your husband in sin and keep your mouth shut. It is not biblical submission, biblical respect. If you see your husband making foolish decisions with your family, with your finances, with the direction of his life, and you sit by passively. It's not loving him. It's not submitting to him. If he is failing to step out and lead your family spiritually, and you sit by passively just hoping he'll step out, you have a God-given responsibility to use your words to as of Galatians 6, 1, to encourage him to pursue what God has called him to do. Respect and submission is active. It is not passive. Respect and submission in marriage is active. It is not passive. So four qualifications. Number one, submission, submission is her choice. It cannot be demanded. Submission does not follow her husband to sin or folly. Number three, submission has nothing to do with cultural roles. Submission has nothing to do with cultural roles. So go back to verse number 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, friends, one of the things is when we think about this text, this has been used by many men to demand certain things of their wives that are cultural at the time in terms of who cleans, who cooks, how many hours people work, and all these type things. You know, one of the joys I had before I came to Gateway for 11 years, I was a pastor for internationals. We regularly interact with people from 26 different countries, and they were in our home all the time, and we had to spend lots of time with them. One thing that we really came to understand that we got stretched in a lot through those 11 years is that culture looks really different in different places. And culture, for the most part, is neutral. 
There's things about our culture that are biblical, and friends, there's things in our culture that are very unbiblical that we often don't see because we're so used to it. There's things in Chinese culture that's biblical and unbiblical. There's things in Korean culture that's biblical and unbiblical. Culture is neutral, and there's sinful and good practices in each culture. As we got to become friends with believers from 26 different nations, the husband-wife relationship looked very different in a lot of those situations because the culture was different. It wasn't a right or a wrong. It was a different cultural expression. Friends, this, I, this command to wives submit to your husband has absolutely nothing to do with who takes out the trash, who pays the bills, who cooks, who cleans, who drives, who talks first, and how much each person can work inside or outside the home. This has absolutely nothing to do with those issues, which is what this text has typically been used to do. This verse is all about the heart issue of serving one another. It's all about the spiritual leadership of the family. Men, you can spiritually lead, yourself, lead your family well and still cook and clean if that's what your wife needs to have sacrificial love for her. These are cultural expressions of it, and we need to be careful to make sure we're calling men to be spiritual heads, not bosses and lords over their own households. That also means, friends, that it's going to look different between couples in the same church and the same culture. Why? Because my gifts and Julia's gifts may be different than you and your wife's gifts. Our callings are going to be different than your callings. And each couple with their own unique gifts, callings, needs, and personalities, which have been brought together by God's design, are not going to look exactly the same in terms of who cooks, who takes out the trash, who drives, who pays the bills, and all those cultural expressions. And so we as a church and we as individuals need to be very, very careful about how we speak of other families and their dynamics. We need to be very careful against using ourselves as a standard by which we judge other families and how the husband and wife interacts. That couple has different gifts, different callings, different needs, different personalities by God's design. The issue is, is the husband stepping out to sacrificial service for his family? Is the husband leading his family spiritually? Is the husband stepping out with a, not to advance self, but to serve his family with Christ-like love? And is the wife encouraging that? Is the wife following him as he follows Christ? Not obeying him all things, but is she following him as he leads the family spiritually? That is what the issue of submission is all about. So three qualifications so far. It's her choice. It cannot be demanded. It does not follow her husband to sin or folly. And number three, it has nothing to do with cultural roles. The last qualification we need to make is submission and respect is specific to the husband-wife relationship. It is specific to the husband-wife relationship. Look back at verse 22. There's an important word that's easy to miss, but we must make sure we don't miss. Wives, submit to your, what's the next word? Your own husbands as to the Lord. Why does Paul put that there? Because he's trying to highlight the relationship between a husband and a wife. We must guard ourselves against trying to export the pattern of marriage to general male-female relationships in society. The pattern of marriage here is not to be exported to the workplace or to the schools or to society in general. This is about a wife submitting, respecting her own husband. Why? Because the point of marriage is a covenant relationship that shows Christ in the church. General male-female relationships or friendships in the church or co-workers isn't designed by God to be the picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is the picture of Christ in the church. Therefore, we must be careful taking some very specific instructions to marriage to portray the picture of Christ in the church and then trying to export that to all of society. God didn't design society to be the picture of Christ in the church. He designed the husband-wife relationship to be Christ in the church. Now, with all that in view, I'm ready to give you the main point for the sermon today. Okay? This is what I hope we can bring together from all that we've seen this morning. And here it is. Wives portray the church when they joyfully respect their husband's Christ-like leadership. So what is this text all about? Wives portray the church when they joyfully respect their husband's Christ-like leadership. God created marriage 
Not for our needs, not for once, but to show Christ and the church. And the wife has a beautiful, God-given, incredible role of helping us understand the church, the bride of Christ, the people that God loves. And she portrays that when she joyfully, when she gladly lets her husband lead spiritually. When she gladly encourages him to that. Which doesn't just sit by passive, but when she encourages her husband and enables him to step out into the role of spiritual leader of the family. When she gives him opportunities to die to self, to sacrificial Christ-like love. When she gladly follows him in the ways that he is following Christ. When she does that, she paints a beautiful picture to help her and her husband and her kids and her friends understand the beauty of God's church. And as she does that, friends, she becomes a tool in the hands of the sovereign God to help other people get the beauty of Christ in the church. Wives portray the church when they joyfully respect their husband's Christ-like leadership. So that in view, I want to ask some questions of you. So husbands, before you start getting ready for your wife to get some questions, I'm going to start with you this morning. So let me start back with the husbands with some things to think about this morning. How are you doing living out what we talked about last week, husbands? How are you doing dying to self not demanding and lording over your family, but serving your family with a Christ-like, humble leadership. Is your wife this week able to see Christ in you because of your attitude of humility and service to her? To her? But particularly in light of this text today, husbands, are you creating a home atmosphere where it's easy for your wife to follow you? Are you creating an atmosphere in your home where it's easy for your wife to step into this God-given role of following you as you follow Christ? Are you in your own heart following Christ? Are you in your own heart seeking hard after Christ? And have you created a home atmosphere where it's easy for your wife to do this? If your wife is struggling to follow you, men, it's probably more of a reflection of your leadership than an issue in her heart. Men, are you demanding your wife to submit and serve you and do things for you? Are you seeking to serve her with sacrificial love? And men, are you encouraging and affirming your wife's beautiful role even if she seeks to encourage you? So husbands, I want you to wrestle with those questions this week. That's for you to focus on. But to the wives, I want to give you some questions. Have you fallen into either danger of either passivity in your marriage where you think you don't have a role to speak up and you've let your husband slip into sins or dangerous patterns and you're not speaking up? Or have you fallen into other danger of just taking the lead and running with your family? Have you fallen into either danger of passivity or, or taking the lead yourself? Wives, how about your words this week? Are your words encouraging your husband to biblically lead or are your words tearing him down? What have your words done this week? Are your words building him up in his Christ-given role? Are your words tearing your husband down? Wives, are you being used by God to help your husband grow? Can you point to ways that your husband is godlier now? Because you, in a spirit of humility and respect and submission, have gone to him about sins in his life, have gone to him about attitudes in his life. Have you been able to be a tool that God has used to sanctify your husband? But for all of you ladies, whether you're married or not, what's happening in your heart? Is there in your heart a longing to see God's purposes fulfilled? Is there a longing in your heart to see God's kingdom advance? Is there a longing in your heart for your home, whether you're single or married, it doesn't matter, for your home and your life to be a place to where God's purposes are accomplished, where people are served, where people are built up in their faith? What is happening in your hearts? Is it longing to make a difference in other people's lives for God's purposes? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, I know these last few weeks as we've wrestled with these marriage texts have been heavy thoughts. Lord, these are not easy things and we don't pretend that they're easy. Lord, we see the brokenness of the world around us and we see the struggles in our own marriages and we see the struggles in marriages all around us. It's so obvious. Yet, Lord, we see in this text a call to pursue you and a call for grace. Lord, we confess this day that 
Lord, we are inadequate to live out lives this way. For a husband to die to self and not lord over his family, but to die to self and model Christ in the way he serves and shepherds his family. For a wife to die to self and encourage her husband to step out in those roles and to follow him as he follows Christ. Lord, these are impossible in our own strength. Our flesh, our sinful tendencies, want the opposite. Our flesh wants all of us to be in charge and be able to lord over one another. But yet, Lord, you've called us to be filled with your Holy Spirit and out of that to then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, God, we ask today for much, much grace because we see our weakness. We see our frailty. God, we see our sins that have hurt others, including our spouse, in the past. And God, I pray today, though, as we seek your grace, God, there wouldn't be condemnation for where we've gone wrong in the past. But, God, there would be conviction to pursue you harder, to pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit day by day so we might build up others, whether it's our spouse or our friends or our neighbors or people at school, whoever around. Or would you give us much grace so that our home life and all aspects of our life model for all to see the love of God? And Lord, I pray particularly for the husbands and wives who are in difficult relationships right now. Whether it's abusive, whether it's a place of just difficulty, whether it's conflict, whatever it is. Lord, do you know what's happening at every gateway home right now? The conversations that happened last night, that happened this week, what happened as we tried to get the kids in the vans this morning on the way to church. Lord, you've seen it all. God, I pray that you wouldn't break us out of a weight of condemnation, but God, we would have conviction from your Holy Spirit because you love us of where we need to grow. And so Lord, I pray today you would fill every home of Gateway with hope, not hope in determination or hope in self-effort, but hope in the gospel. And Lord, where we have fallen short, that we wouldn't despair, we wouldn't try harder, but God, that we would look to Jesus and we'd find strength to, by your grace, to be transformed. God, I pray particularly for the husbands and wives of Gateway today. That where the enemy has created division and brokenness, God, you would supernaturally bring healing. That we would grow and understand the role you've given to us as husbands and wives to build one another up in love. And the God, that we would recommit ourselves afresh to serving one another in the way you've shown us so that our homes and our lives can be a picture of what you want them to be. And Lord, I pray that you would breathe fresh life into every Gateway family this day that we might be faithful to accomplish your purposes so that you might have all the glory. And God, we might find great joy as we're used by you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?